this life with its great mysteries surely someday will come to an end but faith will conquer the darkness and death and will lead me at last to my friend i believe in a hill called mount calvary guys. Take your Bible, turn over to a familiar passage, John 3.16. Yeah, some of you are going, I don't even need to turn, I got it memorized. Yeah, you probably do. That's good. John chapter 3 verse 16. It's interesting, you know, we think about God and we say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We read that in the Word of God, amen? It's wonderful. And uh, there's no doubt that as we move along in life and time goes on, change comes and all of those things. But there are some things that are timeless. Boy, one of those things is John 3.16, right? Man, is it timeless. And uh, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, in uh, singles class today, uh, Brother Mark Dombrowski, he was, he was teaching and he, uh, he uh, mentioned about uh, certain passages in the Bible that are so familiar that sometimes we immediately shut down. We close down. We say, ah, I already know all that. Heard that a million times from the time I was in Sunday school right on up through church. And he's right. I mean, sometimes we say that that uh, familiarity is, uh, is um, wow, I just lost my mind there. Um, familiarity breeds contempt, we often say. And uh, I don't know about contempt for the Word of God, but it certainly can cause us to kind of lose interest. It's probably one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible, i got to believe. I mean, it's been a staple at, like I said, VBS's Sunday schools and on Bible tracts and literature. And even in a declining culture, there's been signs. You see signs from time to time posted, John 3, 16. Through the years, it was real popular. It's not so much now. Why? Because most places, most events where events are, uh, are held have outlawed those kind of signs. They no longer permit them, but I'll give them this. They don't permit a lot of signs, you know, so that's good. I mean, as long as they're consistent across the board, that's okay. But unfortunately, we don't see 
those kind of things. Now, I, I, I have been really encouraged as our young people have been hitting the streets and they've been marching up and down streets in the city of Akron and, and uh, they wear their, their sandwich signs that have scripture on them and talk about being right with God and things like that. And, and boy, it's making an impact. People are driving down the road, beeping their horn in support. There's others that eh, aren't always as supportive, but those are far and few between, folks. Let me tell you, the majority of people are glad to see some young people taking a stand for some Something that matters, and that's Jesus. And I like that, and I'm happy about that. But John 3:16. It's clearly the most beloved verse in all the Bible, it seems, and for good reason. For good reason. And this morning, I just want to note five things in the passage that make it so beloved. That's all. Five simple things that make it so beloved, okay? And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll talk about John 3:16. And I hope you don't fall asleep, okay? Okay, if you're over the age of 30, stay awake. I know you've heard something on John 3:16 a bunch, okay? But stay awake. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for all you do for us. We are needy people. More than anything, Lord, we need you and your word. Father, we uh, are grateful for how you do meet needs in our life. And we know that without you, we can do nothing. And yet, Lord, so often we try. Help us, Lord, just to acknowledge your word, to slow down today and just allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts through your precious book, the Word of God. And Father, we need you. Lord, may we not take for granted this simple but powerful verse. And Lord, help us, Father, today. Maybe we can learn something, something new, something uniquely different. Lord, it's it's not the complicated things that matter in life. It's the simple things. Help us, Lord, to truly uh, just partake of your word, to to just, Father, truly dine today on the word of God and feast on the word. And Father, may you do a mighty work in our lives. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. Allow me to be your mouthpiece today. I'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so John 3, 16. Let me just give you those, those five things that, well, just make it so beloved. And again, there's a number of others. I'm sure you could add to them. But number one, we see a passionate sovereign there. Right off the bat, for God so loved the world. Boy, God is is our sovereign. He he has all power, right, under heaven and earth. He's the creator, God, of all things. Men and women, however, have questioned the love of God for centuries, haven't they? With every natural disaster, every personal tragedy, every illness that comes to humanity, it seems that God's love is often put on trial. You know, if God was really a God of love, why did he let that happen? You know, we ask those questions all too often, and we don't ask them with the right spirit. We're asking them many times with kind of an attitude. And, you know, God is sovereign, and God is able to do as he pleases, and he, being the creator, God is, is allowed to do however, uh, whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants. And yet, sometimes we, the creation, have a tendency to put God on trial for exercising his sovereignty. But the passage begins with this passionate sovereign. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say that God hated the world. God loved the world. And the world includes you and the world includes me. He loves everyone and there is no doubt about that. Now we know that God is opposed to certain lifestyles and circumstances and situations. He doesn't agree with how we speak all the time or what we do or where we go. But he loves us. And that love is what often, that love is what's drawn us to him. 
People say, well, oh yeah, we're just fearing God. The fear is what does it. Yeah, there's an element of fear that causes us to respect the, 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 the power and, and, and the sovereignty of God. But my friend, what drew me to God was His grace, His mercy, and His great love for me. For God so loved the world. And these words have echoed down through the ages, offering hope to the most downtrodden, the most afflicted, the most sinful, wicked sinner of all. For God so loved the world. In 1 John 4, 7, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and each one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. I love that. Beloved, let us love one another. You say, I, I, I don't have God's love. Well, then that's because you, you're telling me God's not in you then. Because if He lives in you, then love is in you. It's not your love that you need to share and demonstrate. It's His love through you. And boy, I'll tell you what, there are people that make it tough to love. You know it and I know it too, right? But the fact is, is that we don't love in our own strength. We love by His love, His love in us, Christ in us. The Bible goes on to tell us that God Himself is love. In 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth, knoweth, uh, he that loveth not knoweth not God. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Someone says, well, I just don't, there's no, I don't love, I don't, eh. boy, boy, that, you're flirting with danger there. That, he says biblically, he that loveth not, he that, excuse me, loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. We see a passionate sovereign. A God that created all things and yet he loves us. A God that could wipe us out with one breath, and yet He loves us. He's such a passionate sovereign. He has such tremendous power. Nothing is impossible for Him. And he sees us for who and what we really are, and yet He still loves us. What a passionate sovereign He is. But not only that, but in the passage, not only do I see a passionate sovereign, I see a precious Savior. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see a precious Savior. In John chapter 1, verse 29, turn there, would you? We uh, meet a fellow by the name of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is going to meet another man. You say man? Yes, God, man. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. There he is, Jesus Christ. There's John, and John says, Wait a second, there's something unusual about this man. There's something uniquely different about this man. This man is like no other man. This man is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And this Lamb of God is precious to not only His Father, but to all who believe. Have you believed in the Lamb of God? Have you put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because if you have, then He is so precious to you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 
Go to the right in your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It's funny, we see John, and the Bible says that, that the next day he see Jesus coming unto him. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I think about myself in light of God who is holy and Christ who is perfect and sinless, and I think about how I came to Jesus Christ, the fact is, I didn't go to him, he came to me. He came searching me out, just like John, in this case, he seeth Jesus coming unto him. Can I tell you that there came a day where Jesus Christ came to you and Jesus Christ presented himself to you and you had to come to a place where you trusted him. Oh, I was different. I came to Jesus, not before he came to you. In 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7, notice he is precious not only to the Father, but he's precious to all who believe. In 1 Peter 2, 6, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you, therefore which believe. He is precious. Man, if you believe in Jesus Christ according to scripture, he's precious to you. And why wouldn't he be precious after everything that he's done? After everything he's endured, to think that Jesus Christ left glory, to think that he left the riches of heaven to come and be a pauper on earth, to walk the dusty trails of Galilee, to literally give his very life for you and me. Oh, man. Praise God. Can you imagine? I mean, he is so precious. What a precious Savior. Precious means of great price, costly as a precious stone or of great value or worth. Do you know that he provided you with precious promises? He provided me with precious promises. Promises of great price that were extremely costly, that were of great value and worth. It says in 2 Peter 1, 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these Ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. How do we get that divine nature? Through those precious promises. The fact that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for all of our sin. He is the only acceptable uh, sacrifice in the sight of a holy, righteous God. There's not one young man in this room that can hang on a cross and pay for my sin. There's not one older man or older lady that can hang on a cross and pay for my sin. Only Jesus can pay for my sin. And I have the precious promises. But not only that, but he provides us with precious blood. In 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Again, Jesus came to this earth. He was God-man, yes, but he was tempted like all of us are, and yet he, without sin, rose above it. And there they hung him between heaven and earth, the precious Savior shedding his precious blood for you and I. And that brought about a precious faith. Oh, a faith of great value, a Faith of great price, so costly, 
2 Peter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Can we elevate Christ enough? Can we really place him where he really belongs? I don't think so. In our finite minds, it's impossible for us to truly grasp and comprehend the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ who took our place on Calvary, who paid our sin debt, who rose again the third day, and today we are saved because of His precious blood, because of His precious faith. John 3, 16, we see a passionate sovereign for God so loved the world, a precious Savior that He gave His only begotten Son And we see again a personal salvation that whosoever believeth in him. Do you know that salvation is a personal thing? It is not just a plan. It is a person. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And when you get saved, you get saved. Oh, I know that he died for the sin of the world, but friend, let me tell you, him dying for the sin of the world isn't enough to get you into heaven. You have to personally believe and trust and put your faith in him. Oh, he died for you. If only you were on this earth, Jesus Christ, I believe, would have taken your place. If I was the only man on earth, God would have died in my stead, I believe. He'd have hung on that cross and endured the shame. Because salvation is a personal salvation. It's not a collective salvation. You don't get to heaven by being a part of the community Baptist temple. You don't get to be a part of the family of God by just going to church with everybody else. You don't just follow the crowd in through the pearly gates. You've got to meet Jesus Christ yourself personally. It's a one-on-one deal. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In 2 Timothy 2, 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He knows those that are his. And I know those that are mine. And I mean, I got four children, and let me tell you something. When they walk in the room, it's different than when your kids walk in the room. I'm not saying I don't love your kids, but let me tell you something. My kids are my kids. My children are my children. There's something uniquely different about them. And can I tell you, they've been born of mom and daddy and there's something about those children. Can I tell you, there's something about those that are born into God's family. And he says, you are mine and I know you. What's he say in Matthew chapter 7? He says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Oh, they knew God, they thought. They knew about Jesus, they thought. They knew about the work of God, but they did not know Him the way God intended them to know Him because He said, I don't know you. 
you may say you know me, but I don't know you. And the truth is, you don't get in unless I know you. We see right off the bat here in John 3.16 some tremendous truths. We note a passionate sovereign. For God so loved the world, a precious Savior, that he gave his only begotten Son, a personal salvation, that whosoever believeth in him. And we note a promising sequel. Should not perish. Oh man, let me tell you what. It doesn't end just on this earth, does it? Man, there's a promising sequel. Now listen, I don't know about you, but there's been movies through the years that they made the first one and you thought, man, that was a good one. And then they made a what? A sequel. And usually the second isn't as good as the first. You know what I mean? But every once in a while they hit a home run. Can I tell you that God's going to hit a home run? Can I tell you that salvation is a wonderful thing and it is something that you and I can bask in and we can relish in and we can just enjoy while we're on this earth. We can enjoy and just love the presence of Christ in our life through the person of the Holy Ghost. We can have the power of God flowing through our veins while we are in this old wicked sinful flesh and he makes us clean in the sight of a holy God. But can I tell you there's a sequel that's still to pass. There's still an inheritance that is yours and mine in Christ Jesus and we're going to see it firsthand and experience it firsthand. It's not over when we die. It's only beginning. Shall not perish. Shall not perish. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John three thirty six. he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John five twenty four. verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What do we escape? Revelation 20, 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We escape the lake of fire, friend. What a sequel. What a wonderful sequel. We're going to be living and dwelling with the creator God for the rest of our existence, which is eternity. We note in this John 3.16, a passionate sovereign. For God so loved the world. A precious Savior that he gave his only begotten Son. A personal salvation that whosoever believeth in him. A promising sequel shall not perish. And finally, oh, last but not least, a perfect city. Some of you just got stumped because you thought it should have ended with an S. But the C sounds a lot like an S to me. A perfect city, but have everlasting life. Take your Bible, turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. I don't know about you, but I, I love the book of Revelation, don't you? I mean, in the book of Revelation, we see the end. And we know who wins, amen? Man, there's some real troubles and trials on this old earth. Man, there's some real battles we have to face. But can I tell you, bless God, we know who wins. 
Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Wow, what a perfect city. What a wonderful place. We see the description of that city. Look at verse 18 and 19. What's it going to be like? What do we have to look forward to? It says there in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 21, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. I'm not talking about about that yellow gold. We're talking about clear glass gold. So pure that you see right through it. Crazy. Can't even imagine how beautiful it'll be. Can you imagine the the Lamb of God is the light thereof and it's passing through that? Can you imagine the colors that will be seen through all the prisms and different, not prisms, but prisms that it'll be flowing through? Man, it's going to be crazy. Rays of light of all kinds of colors that we can hardly wrap our mind around. Verse 19, and the foundation of the wall of the city was garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, 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 chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, and so on and so forth. Look at verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. What? What are you talking about pearls? And every several gate was of one pearl. I want you to think about that. Man, I mean, some of you ladies go around and you got your pearl earrings or maybe you got a pearl necklace and you got them pearls. And you know what? Those are puny pearls. They're puny. Little teeny things. Throw them away. They ain't worth a thing. Just I'll bring around a trash can. You throw them in. I'll just take them to my office. But the truth is a compare to those gates one day. The Bible says there'll be one pearl and it'll be the gate. Can you imagine how big will that gate be? Therefore, how big will the pearl be? We can't wrap our minds around the magnificence of heaven, this new city, Jerusalem. He goes on to say, and the street of the city was pure gold. Man, the city's pure gold. The streets are pure gold. As it were, transparent glass. I don't know why I just thought about this, but I think, I wonder if there'll be a street cleaner going down there. You know, one of them big old trucks, you know, the, you know, just turning, you know, and going around the corner there trying to get the edge. I don't think so. I don't think so. Pure gold streets. Wow. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, just a few verses down. The city had no need for the, of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. (laughs) So He's the glory of God, and He's the light thereof. 
Man, I don't know about you, but I, I walked by my classroom the, the other day, just yesterday. We got done with the, the Go Rally, and, and people were heading on out, knocking doors, and we're going out making visits and doing all that. And I'm walking by, I look at the one classroom. I looked in, I was like, wow, those are really bright. Those lights are so bright. I walked down to mine, and I looked in, I went, huh? Mine don't look like... No. Am I just seeing things? Or are those lights a lot brighter than mine? I even asked them, I said, hold on, can you do, do, do me a favor? Look at those lights. They looked at them. I said, now come look at these. He looked at them. I said, what do you think? He go, those are a lot brighter. I said, yeah, now how's come they rate, but I don't? I want those. And he said, well, why don't you switch them out during the week? Nobody would know the difference. I don't know about you, but I like light. But I'm going to tell you something. There's no light in this world. I don't care if it's LED or whatever it is. So even laser beams today that are as bright and as glorious as Jesus Christ. My friend, we can't even wrap our mind around how wonderful that light will be. And I believe we'll not only see that light, we will feel that light. And he says in Revelation 21, 25, you want to understand the character of that city. Notice it says, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Hold on. Wait a second. Oh, I can understand that it won't be shut by day. He goes, yeah, because honestly, it'll never shut because there'll be no more night. He said, but I want to sleep. You won't have to sleep. You have a new body. You'll be good to go. You better work for Jesus all the time. Never get tired. Finally, Revelation 21, 27, and there shall be in no wise, there shall no in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither that worketh uh, whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. I, I, you know, listen. Let's just be honest. Even as Christians today, we get accustomed to sin. If we're not careful, we almost get to where we can endure it. And sadly enough, too many times we indulge in it. As we get closer to Jesus Christ, sin becomes a much more appalling, doesn't it? Kind of like the apostle, like, should I say like the prophet Isaiah, who got close to God and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. He had seen God high and lifted up. And the closer you and I get to the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the perfect, sinless, holy, righteous God of the universe, the more we see ourselves as just a dweeb in the sight of a holy God. The Bible calls us simply a putrid sore, oozing pus. That's the description of you and I in the sight of God himself outside of His precious, perfect blood, outside of the salvation that's in Christ Jesus, outside of that love that's being bestowed upon us so mercifully, there'd be nothing, nothing we can give God to earn His favor. We're nothing without Him. But boy, what a wonderful, wonderful city, a perfect city we will have the privilege of dwelling in one day. Oh, John 3 16, we see a passionate sovereign for God so loved the world, a precious Savior that He gave His only begotten Son. We note a personal salvation. 
that whosoever believeth in him. A promising sequel should not perish. And a perfect city, but have everlasting life. What great love. What great love. F.M. Lehman. He wrote the familiar hymn, The Love of God. It says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then the chorus goes, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The story goes that when Lehman tried to write the third verse of the song, the words just wouldn't come to him. He just couldn't find the words. He struggled and struggled, but to no avail. He then thought about a a card that he had once received, and it had a poem on it, and he loved uh, uh, the poem because it, it shared, it just expressed the love of God. And so he searched for that particular card, and he soon found it. And Lehman began to read the words on the card, and his heart was just thrilled with that particular poem, just like it was the very first time he read it. He began to voice the words of the poem with the melody that he had composed for his song. And they fit perfectly. And he knew, he knew right then, that he had found the words to the third verse of his song, the love of God. (laughs) Lehman, he noticed at the bottom of the card some smaller but heavier print. And it told the story of the origin or the origin of that poem. And it went something like this. It told that the poem was found written on a cell wall in a prison some 200 years earlier. It was not known by uh, who, or, excuse me, it was known why the prisoner was incarcerated. I had no idea why he was there. Neither was it known if the, the words were original. It didn't know, uh, had he heard them elsewhere? He didn't know. Whatever the circumstances, the prisoner had written them on the wall of his prison cell. And the third stanza goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever.
lasting life. Have you allowed God to love you like that? Have you permitted God's love to fill your heart? You say, how would I do that? By humbling yourself before Him and before the cross of Calvary. He's not on that cross anymore because He died for you to pay for your sin debt. He was buried and He rose again to prove that He has power to not only save Himself but all. You need only bow yourself in humbleness before God and say, oh Lord, God of heaven, I'm the sinner you died for. And I know I don't deserve anything good. But I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to wash me clean. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me. Can I tell you that he will just turn on the spout of heaven his love will pour on you and you will know what true love is divine love is heavenly love is maybe you're a child of God today already and the message of God's love and the great John 3.16 kind of lost its you know, it's time to regather and regain it. It's time to rekindle that fire again. Can I tell you that unless you and I share John three sixteen, unless we share the love of God with others sooner or later, in a sense, the fire will go out. Well, we have a responsibility to let other people know that God loves them and that he loved them and proved his love by sending his son to take their place on Calvary and pay for their sin. And that they, no matter how deep they are in the depths of sin, he will reach down and pull them out. Amen. Hey, you and I aren't the only ones he loves. He loves them all. He loves all of us. May God help us to make a big deal about the love of God with others to make a big deal of John 3.16. Father, we ask, Lord, for your grace today. We pray that you will speak to our hearts. There might be those that are here that have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, to deny Christ as Savior is really to say, I don't want the love of God in my life. Oh God, may they not reject your love. May they receive and accept Jesus Christ today. May they invite you. You said, you, you said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, Lord, your arms are open and wide to people today, every walk of life, begging them to come unto you. Lord, may they come to you now that you've come to them, and may they receive and accept your son, Jesus Christ, and in doing so, they'll experience your divine love. For the believer, help us, Lord, to be clear that we need to be a testimony of your love, that we must make a big deal of John 3, 16 and a big deal of the love of God in the lives of others. Help us, Lord, we need you to help us to be the testimony we ought to be. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed as the music.